Welcome to The Sound Architect. We're extremely happy to have the ever so wonderful Roger Craig Smith. Welcome. Thank you. I'm, I am not ever so wonderful, though, I promise. <laughs> I'm, I'm maybe mediocre and and lukewarm at best. Well, either way, we're very happy to have you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Happy to be here. So let's dive straight in. Dying Light is up and coming. Tell us a bit about your character, Kyle Crane. Uh, Kyle Crane is essentially, I mean, without trying to spoil anything or reveal too much, um, Kyle Crane is a uh, is a guy in a very interesting situation, given all the events that are going on in Haran. Um, and uh, the the thing that I enjoyed about uh, portraying a character like Kyle Crane, in comparison to other characters I might have been able to do in the past, um, is that he's he's pretty fallible. He's definitely sort of a, an imperfect guy, um, and uh, and and trying to figure a lot of things out for himself. Uh, given the circumstances and given the ever-changing situation in Haran. Um, and so from uh, from a character standpoint, I, I, even though the situation might be somewhat kind of uh, crazy and, and sort of like, really? <laughs> a zombie apocalypse? Um, I, I think that, that he kind of, to me, feels like a kind of grounded um, and sort of realistic character. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, there's, there's a lot that has yet to be sort of experienced even from, from my standpoint as a, uh, as a gamer, um, uh, with an asterisk next to that. Um, <laughs> uh, but as a, as a gamer trying to see like what the, what Techland has done with this character, um, plugging in the performances that, that I delivered, um, over a sort of a brief period of time in comparison to how long they've been working on it. Um, so I, you know, I'd like to be able to give you a much more definitive answer as to who Kyle Crane is, but I, I have yet to experience it in the, uh, in the finished version of the game, just like everyone else. So I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, what, here's a plug January 27th when it finally comes out, uh, uh, what the experience is going to be like. But, but I know from, from the audio recordings that we had done, uh, he, he seemed like he was kind of just very reacting, uh, or I should say, um, not so proactive as much as it was that he was sort of reactive in his approach to the world around him, which I thought was fun. It wasn't like he had all the answers. Yeah, he's been thrown into this situation, and he's basically just on the run reacting to everything as it comes along. Yeah, which is nice, because sometimes, you know, we, we get into these fantasy elements with a lot of characters to where, you know, it, it's, it's written that you go, ah, I don't know, they, they, they wouldn't have that answer. They wouldn't be able to to, mm. to respond so quickly, and it, and it feels like, you know... we. We sometimes don't have a, an option of, of kind of responding in, in, in a sort of natural way, in a humanistic way, um, and uh, and this character does that, you know, uh, quite often throughout the uh, throughout the whole uh, throughout the whole experience. So it, it was it was uh, a lot of fun in that regard. Yeah, it must be interesting because obviously it's going to come up. This isn't your first zombie apocalypse, is it? What? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! You make me want to punch a boulder. I'm so angry. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, obviously there was the Chris Redfield uh, comparison and that kind of thing, and and, and arguably too, there, there's a lot of more of a naturalistic approach and delivery from this character without an accent, without me really dropping my voice lower or you know pushing it to Batman or any other character. But um, and so I think a lot of people hear you know some similarities to uh, to the Chris Redfield performance, but but I think what they're hearing is just the 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 vocal thumbprint of my voice. Um, but, but by no means are these two characters even remotely similar. The, the approach and the delivery of, of Kyle Crane versus, uh, somebody like Chris Redfield, it's vastly different. Um, cause again, I think with Chris Redfield, you have a, a more, uh, defined, polished and sort of not to sound derogatory, but an, a more unrealistic hero. After all, there is the boulder punching and there is the just, you know, he's the, he's the superhero in a lot of ways. And Kyle Crane is is far from a superhero, so there's the yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's I familiar territory, I says. Because obviously he he's kind of like the the alter ego, not alter ego, sorry, uh, the the kind of opposite, if you will, of Chris Redfield. Because yeah. Chris Redfield yeah, knows sure. what he's going into now. He's he's done this. He's going to go in. He's going to take charge, and he's there with the BSAA. Whereas obviously Kyle Crane is kind of the reactive as opposed to the proactive, like you were saying. So I was very interested in how you, as a voice actor, delivered the lines differently, and how you found yourself being different as Kyle Crane. You know, like, it, this is sort of a, it's, to me, I've never really had an opportunity, I mean, it's one thing if you're, if you're portraying a character that's already been well-established, like a Batman, or like uh, a Captain America, you, you kind of know what, if you start to push it too far, that's going to feel like it's out of character um, yeah. for the character, because it's so ingrained and established in, in what we all sort of perceive to be an acceptable uh, you know, version of that character, but with an original character, um, sometimes you don't. To me, it's it's a, it's a process of like you kind of find out as you go, um, and sometimes it's it's literally after a day of recording, you might want to go back and and approach certain things because as you start to settle into this, you go, you know, this this feels like the guy, um, and really and truly, I don't. I'm not the one who decides. Uh, there's there's you know, it, it would it would be extremely arrogant of me to. To walk into a, a session and say, "Okay, well, I've I've seen the bits of script that you've sent to me," because often we we sometimes don't even get to see the entire script. Um, so I've seen what you've sent to me, and here's what we're going to do today. You know, it doesn't work that way. I, I I tend to walk in knowing, okay, well, I did something for an audition that they must have liked, because here I am to to work the job. <laughs> and even then, I don't feel confident in that's going to be the final decision. We might get a couple sessions in, and they go, "This just isn't working," but. I show up and I say, okay, what what do we have? You know, there's there's a director who's been closely working with the development studio, and and they tend to have the entire script so that they can have a complete and total understanding of of the story at large. Um, sometimes, for security purposes, they won't you know disseminate all that information all that information to the actors because they the the more uh, scripts that are being sent out, that kind of thing, the the greater the likelihood of Someone along the way gets it and kind of releases it on the internet for whatever reason. Um, so sometimes you show up kind of flying blind, and I rely very heavily on a director who I put instill my trust into them, knowing that they've been working with, in this case, Techland um, Studios, to 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 tell me what it is that they want this character to kind of be, and then it's my job to kind of just vocally keep, you know, throwing stuff against the wall and hope that it sticks, yeah. um, and working closely with the director to kind of say, hey, this is this is what we got. So. It's uh, it's it's not as if I walk in knowing exactly who Kyle Crane is going to be right from the get-go. Um, and as more dialogue starts being spoken and we start pushing the character a little further in this direction and pulling it back in this, you kind of settle into okay, this feels like this is the guy. And then it's interesting because you'll you'll come a, you'll come across a line later on in the script, and and you and the director will look at each other and go. I don't know. This just doesn't feel like him. And and sometimes it's it's such a massively collaborative effort, and there's so many people that that can that can be responsible for all these different elements, like writing. Uh, you know, if they've got a lot of different writers at a, at a particular studio, um, sometimes you can have a line that you just go, "This is odd," and you never know why. You never know if it was just a different writer got their hands on it and thought it'd be funny to put this in here. But you kind of start, you know, molding this character, and then you go, "Well, that." We can we can say the same thing, but in a different way, so that it still kind of is in line with what we sort of feel that character is. And even then, it's not anything that's written down on a piece of paper. Like Kyle Crane is this. It's like no. Yeah. Sometimes it's kind of a of a gray area. 
Well, I'm very interested, actually, because you say about the audition process. Obviously, it varies from project to project how that works. Correct. So with Kyle Crane, what, how much did you know when you auditioned? What did you know? Did you know anything about what you were auditioning for? Or did you just have some lines to say in a situation? It's literally just lines to say. I, I, I walked in with the, uh, the, the casting uh, director on this project and, um, and the writer who eventually became uh, the vocal director, one of the writers um, on the project, and uh, we... We just kind of played around in the booth, um, and it's it, it's it's the process of you know you walk in and they say okay he's uh, he's kind of this he's kind of that he's around this age range, um, and the the line of dialogue is you know hey could you pass me the uh, <laughs> could you pass the the cereal <laughs> and you think oh okay so you you go in and say okay, hey could you pass me the cereal and they go nah it's too grizzled and you could you pass me the cereal and like nah it's too normal and you, you, know, you say okay uh, <clears throat> could you pass me the cereal. They go, that's too tough, you know, and you just start kind of playing around, and then they you find a sort of vocal print that they like, and you dive into some more lines, and you, you kind of, usually I think they're trying to find out what does it sound like when the guy yells, when he screams, when he's crying, when he's, uh, you know, when he's bored, when he's, they try to run this sort of a emotional gamut um, to see what, uh, what what's there, and then uh, you just kind of, you know, again, you, you throw it against the wall, hope it sticks, and you go home and wait to, to see if you get a phone call. I love it because I, I do a bit of voice acting myself and I just find it amazing how different it can be from project to project. Absolutely. It's just always different. Sometimes you're recording with people, sometimes you're on your yep. own, and sometimes you never meet all the other people. And then yeah. you watch yourself interacting with other people. So it must be really bizarre when you – I mean, you say you're a gamer, right? So you must yes. have played most, if not all, of the games you're in. Um, um, most. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And it must be strange when you've been in that position and then you see the end product and how – I mean, does it ever surprise you how the interactions are where you're like, oh, that's what I was doing or that's oh, what absolutely. I was doing at the time? Yeah, usually, I mean, and, and it really, I think a lot of gamers don't realize that, um, or a lot of folks don't realize that the production process can be that sort of disjointed and yet it's, uh, people are always like, why don't you guys record together? And, and then you have to kind of explain like how audio works and why it would be a nightmare if you had people overlapping onto each other's microphones, how that doesn't edit and how it literally can ruin takes. Um, yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why we very often are so isolated in our performance. A lot of that is changing with performance capture. Um, but even then, I know that the people are still having to go back in and, and sort of ADR fixes to certain lines of dialogue, even in the, the, the confines of, uh, of, of performance capture. Yeah, it's becoming a bit more film-like, isn't it, where the ADR process oh, yeah. is coming in because of the motion cap and... Absolutely. And that's, you know, it's an interesting thing that you were talking about, just the audition process, and, and I always make the joke that now with games that are approaching it from a performance capture um, uh, sort of uh, an approach to sound redundant. Um, they, uh, I'm, I've now been told there are certain voiceover roles, because I look at them as voiceover roles, but now it's performance capture, but I'm too short for some of those roles because if they've got another actor who's 6'2", and I'm five foot five, and yet I'm the protagonist and supposed to be intimidating. <laughs> if I if we're on a performance capture stage and I'm trying to get into the face of this guy, and yet he's towering above me, <laughs> it doesn't look, it doesn't it doesn't uh, sort of translate well to the uh, to the data. Um, and so there, there's there's a, there's that approach to things now. But um, yeah, it's uh, it typically is that we will go in one at a time in an isolated booth, and we will read our lines. And very often you're reading not with another actor, but with a director feeding you the other character's lines. And that character can go from being a monster or a gremlin or, a, you know, an ogre or, a, you know, a, a love interest or that kind of thing. And you are sort of conjuring up sort of theater of the mind 
what your character would sound like in responding to that character, even though you might have a director on the other side just going, oh, Ezio, I love you. Please don't leave me. You are the greatest uh, <laughs> lover of my life. And then you have to kind of like <laughs> respond and, as Ezio would. And so it is fun to kind of see that finished, polished product because there are hundreds of people that work on these games, and it's sort of a, it's embarrassing to be, you know, having people reach out to me to want to ask me about the process and ask me what it's like to be the character when you want to go, I'm, I'm such a small cog <laughs> in this machine <laughs> because there are so many people that bring these characters to life. I didn't write the dialogue. I didn't create the pixels that are that, that character. I haven't come up with a game design. I haven't come up with the, you know, the mechanics of the fighting, the mechanics of the movement, all that stuff that goes into it. And yet, because I'm sort of a more tangible representation of a character, because you could shake my hand and say, oh, you're you're the voice of blankety blank, um, we get, I think, sort of an undue attention um, in comparison to some of the people that, that really create the character. So when that game comes out, it's fun for me to kind of pop the game in and go, oh, okay, this is this is what they did with what I did. Um, and sometimes you were asking earlier, is it surprising? Yes, there are, there are elements, too, where you go, ah, oh, man, if I had had a chance to go back and, and tweak that, I would have delivered that in a much more intimate or subtle voice. Or Because or, sometimes we just don't know. We don't see video. We don't know what the final cutscene is going to look like. So we go in and they say, okay, um, cough. And you, so you go in and, <coughs> and then you find out that when you play the game, it's I mean, it's dust and debris and particles yeah. and all this stuff. And you're like, man, I would have been coughing a lot more than what I gave him. But the director doesn't know. I don't know. Sometimes it's like you just go, all right, well, we'll, we'll try to get as many variations on coughs as we can. And, you know, or screams and yells. And, and there there was a moment in Assassin's Creed that I remember, like, one of the later games where I was I was delivering a line that I thought um, in the past had been delivered sort of like as almost like a speech. Um, and it turned out it was a much more intimate performance. I was just kind of like cringed when I would see it because it was Ezio <laughs> sort of like helping some peasant off the ground and, and saying, you know, like, fight with me. This is something, you know, I, I want you to band together with me and together we'll take these these uh, bad guys down. But it was delivered in such a loud tone <laughs> that it felt very disconnected. And that was just, that's the, the that's that sort of disjointing of production process. Yeah. You, it, <laughs> and it, you know, it, it's, it's not a, it's not a perfect system and it, it's, that's, that's why it's such a fascinating industry to be a part of because so many things are being attempted and learned and and refined. Um, you know, sadly sometimes uh, to to the to the chagrin of the player um, on the fly. You know, we're trying to figure this stuff out as we go. Yeah. Do you think that with the motion cap side coming in, you say that you've had to, you know you haven't been able to do roles because of your height? Do you think that the whole acting side of voice acting is becoming a bit more physical related again? Where, you know, like certain people will be turned out for roles because they don't look appropriate or they don't have the right shape or size. Do you reckon that's going to be an issue for some voice actors in the future? And become oh, absolutely. A problem? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I don't know if it's a problem. I mean, it's where the industry might be pushing um, narrative-based games. And, and if that's really a better way of producing a game, then so be it. Um, and if they start looking for the vocal, aesthetic, and physical uh, embodiment of a character, then they are starting to... To, to do what I think doesn't benefit um, a lot of productions, which is now you need to find somebody who looks like and can be this character, not just sounds like, and so you're limiting your scope of available talent. Um, 
and uh, and 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 whether or not that's a good or a bad thing, um, it, you know, it's, it, it, I can look at it and go like, well, that's bad for me because I might not look like, <laughs> you know, I definitely don't look like Ezio. So if they had done it that way, I wouldn't have been even considered in the get go. But it, um, you know, I, I don't know that it's a, a good or a bad thing at all. It's it's really kind of up to the production company as to how they want to produce their games. But I do think it's, um, I don't know. I, I I always have this like cautionary approach of. A, a game must, even if it's a narrative-based game, at the end of the day, this is not a passive form of entertainment for people. This is not something to where, like a movie, you go in and you sit down and you you sort of disconnect from the world to passively witness this this story and, and you try, you hope that the filmmaker can bring you into having an understanding of what that character might be going through. This is interactive uh, in, in the world of video games, this is an interactive form of entertainment that at, at its core, I think, must always be a good game. Yeah. And I would much rather, in all honesty, and, and this is completely subjective, but I would much rather play a game that has solid gameplay and allows me to want to pick that thing back up when I've come home from work and I just want to kind of disconnect for a couple of hours and, and go play something and, 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 and live it as close as I can while sitting on my couch and drinking a beer. Um, (laughs) I'd much rather play a game that has phenomenal gameplay elements and an okay story than spend $60 on a game that has a phenomenal narrative, but the gameplay leaves me wanting more. Um, because at that point I might as well just go watch a movie and so that production process, I think, could lend itself to some really great narratives, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to make for a great game. If the, it, these are video games, and at the end of the day, I think the gaming um, element uh, to a video game is the most important thing. And, and you know, it's as as a voice actor, I, I would love to be a part of things that that have awesome stories and, and terrific writing and and a terrific narrative. But I've I've been a part of some that that you know we we felt like we were doing phenomenal work and then the game comes out and it's got glitches and it's got yeah. this and you think oh well that that irritates the the players and the, and that at that point the narrative and our performances are completely irrelevant so you go well hey if the gameplay wasn't polished enough what good is a narrative what good is a performance if it uh, if it doesn't have the gameplay elements that fans are looking for so it, I don't know I you know I I, I also. I also what I what I like about the voiceover industry is, is is being a part of a production crew and not being that that notion of above the line talent and you know <laughs> I am the being best a diva. In, Yeah, exactly. It's you know 12 years at the Victorian for this tripe, how dare you? Um <laughs> do you walk I, you in and find your water sipped uh, from beaver's <laughs> tears. And my apologies for butchering that accent because that's what I do. Um <laughs> It was great. I but, enjoyed it. <laughs> but it's it to me I I I don't uh I like the behind the scenes element, and if we start doing this thing where it's like we're going to, you know, and, it, and it's a weird thing for me because I, there there is a, a a slight bit of notoriety that comes with perf- you know per- performing some of these characters and portraying some of these characters, and people follow me on Twitter now and that kind of thing, and it's an unsettled new territory for me, um, or an unsettling new territory for me, <laughs> and uh, I don't know that I want people to to hear, ugh, there's Roger Craig Smith in that role. It's like no, don't. That's not. I want you to hear the character, and and the more people know my name, and the more people know me. Now, if they start seeing my face in something, if they start going, it's like, oh well, that's that's that guy, and it's like, no, that's the character. I want I want people to know the character, and as a, as a result of that, there's a lot of there's a lot of me that kind of feels like, all right, I love animation for that reason and that reason alone. I, I love being a part of animated 
films and TV shows and, and shorts and that kind of thing because no one's ever going to look at that and go, oh, that's that guy because, you know, I might be a bird or a, a raccoon or, you know, like, uh, or a space alien or some, some completely otherworldly creature that, that uh, it, it allows for that disconnect. Or a blue hedgehog. Yeah, blue hedgehog. Exactly. See, like, then, you know, and, and that comes with its own fan base of people who are very aware of who's portraying the voice and <laughs> yeah. for good or bad. <laughs> no, because you've recently done um, Sonic Boom, actually, haven't you? Speaking about correct, it. yes. Yeah, how's that been going? You know, for me, it's been phenomenal. The uh, the animated series and the game, we had a blast making. Um, we were exceptionally proud of where we kind of started to push the character. We really, really, really enjoy being a part of this franchise and want at all times to try to be able to, to do something that, that invigorates a new fan base and, and yet doesn't necessarily alienate the, the, the existing fan base, which is a really difficult thing uh, to do. Um, but it's been an honor getting to portray, you know, something as iconic as, as a mascot of an entire, <laughs> an entire company. Um, it, it's unreal. Um, and, and it's been a lot of fun. We, we really have had a tremendous amount of fun doing um, both the games and the animated series, and, and the animated series uh, most especially just because uh, working with the writers and, and, again, all the people that are so passionate about trying to bring, you know, um, uh, an awesome and fun sort of family-friendly approach to entertainment – uh, to the masses, uh, it's 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 been a blast, and we it, it's one of those jobs where you feel like I can't I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> yeah, I admit it is definitely the coolest job in the world in my eyes. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to ask. I mean, you've done a lot of animation now and a lot of video games. How how did you start off? How did you start your journey into voiceover? Uh, my my journey into voiceover wasn't really like a journey. I, I was I was not necessarily. Um, taking the approach of like, well, this is what I'm going to go do. It was um, I was I was just a young guy trying to figure out what what am I going to do. I I felt like like the world of entertainment was something I wanted to be a part of. But um, going through high school, I did theater arts. Going out of high school, I eventually went and was a drummer in a band for a long time. And then from there, I I started uh, I wanted to work in production, so I was becoming a production assistant. I um, eventually got wise and went, okay, I need to get myself into school. So I went to college, uh, graduated college at the age of 27. So a little older than most folks, um, but majored in screenwriting. Cause I thought, all right, well, that'll, that'll be a good creative outlet for me. I like writing, I like being funny. And, and while I was in college prior to starting college and through college and after college, I was uh, beginning to, to do stand up comedy and right. started doing that sort of weekly and, and uh, many times a week, getting up and trying to go to different clubs and do uh, performances. Um, and I was doing characters and voices in my act because that was sort of my background in, in theater arts and whatnot. Um, and uh, so more and more people would hear me do characters and voices, um, and they'd also hear a, a speaking voice that could command an audience's attention. So we would do corporate gigs, and I would host or MC or I would run the auction or that kind of thing. And oh, so cool. a lot of people started saying, hey, you've got to – a good speaking voice, but you also do these characters and voices, you should really look into voiceover. And it just became more and more people, including influential people in the industry, saying that. And I went, all right, well, maybe maybe it's time to bark up that tree because comedy was a, a rough, uh, a tough road to hoe. Yeah, I hear it's really tough. It is. And I have the utmost respect for the uh, the road comics that, that stick with it because you it is just a, it's a grind uh, and it's a, it's a lot of hard work. Um, and and uh, so the more I started looking at it going, okay, I, I don't see a, a – uh, an income source here that's really going to be long-term or, or steady, um, 
and maybe I should bark up this other tree and and started barking up the tree and and even even then I was in development on a screenplay that I had written that did well in a contest and I'd we had multiple meetings and rewrites and this kind of thing and then and it was funny because I was having to cancel certain meetings due to voiceover gigs and I just started going you know this it seems like this is where it's going and it yeah. was it was fun I mean I I it, it really blended. In an odd way, in an unforeseen way, it blended all the things that I was enjoying. It, it, there isn't a writing element. Um, I never would have thought that that having a background in screenwriting, as far as a, studying it, um, would have lent itself to understanding characters more and understanding the the arc of a character and the arc of a of an entire script and that kind of thing. But it did, and it does, and therefore it helps when you're ad libbing to know. Okay, well, this is if I if I reveal too much in this little you know brilliant line that I'm going to come up with that, that the writer didn't come up with that it could ruin the, the, the through point of the story or that kind of thing. So you, you, you have that skill set available to you, which was, um, which was nice. And then the performance element, it's like stand-up. It, if, if it's great, it's on me. If it's bad, it's on me. Um, and I liked that. I, I liked kind of feeling like I'm, I'm behind something and I'm yet a part of a team, which is what the, the production element uh, really kind of fulfilled. Um, and it, was, uh, it, it just started becoming something that I fell in love with as I, as I dove into it that much more. So it was not anything that I had, you know, I wasn't like I was in high school going, I'm going to be a voice guy. No, <laughs> yes. no clue, no desire. Because everyone has their own path into voiceover. So it's always really interesting to see how everyone gets involved. There's no set way. There's no solid nope. route to get into voiceover. No, there's no line that you get into to say like, all right, this, you know, to become a voice actor, get in this line. <laughs> and it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, queue up and there you go. Yeah, it's like, once your number's called, you're Here's a voice a actor. Take 369. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, congratulations, you're, you're now a voice actor. <laughs> you're now a rabbit. Okay, right, go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish. <laughs> so one piece of advice that you would give to anyone out there who wants to get into voiceover, the one, one piece of advice that you've learned along the way that you would think would be best to pass on. Oh, the, uh, yeah, it's always a tricky one. Yeah, it is. Um, because it's also, it also forces you to have to like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, be, like you're saying, it's everybody has their own individual way of having started. So I could, I could give you some advice on, on what worked for me, but that might not work for you because you're not me and I'm not you. Um, and, not and it, what to do's. You know, what not to do is to, um, be afraid of where you're at. I guess um, I I started out and and one of the one of the things that worked for me is I I approached it like an entrepreneurial <laughs> endeavor um, where I I just kind of I created the world's worst demo I did it myself which was a big mistake um, I hired a kid at the, at my film school that was an audio engineering guru to to record me reading magazine ads out loud and then. I slapped a little music to it. I could edit. I knew with a background in film, I, I knew how to do a lot of that stuff. So I was like, all right, well, uh, I'll just go and put this together. And I put it in a slimline jewel case, a CD case that was wrong. Um, <laughs> put on a suit and tie, and I went around and, and, and knocked on doors. And, and I thought, well, I might interrupt the session, and that might irritate someone, and but I might not, and they might really appreciate that I'm out just trying to do something. And I, I basically went around and said, look, I'm here. I'm local. I have a background in performance, and I've been an actor, and I've done this, and I've done that. I'm here. I'm local. I'm cheap. In other words, give me a shot, and let's do the first few for free. Let's you know find a way to get in and get the experience and cut my teeth on a local level and make mistakes in front of a local audience instead of uh, thinking that it's like, well, you know, I want to go from here to being SpongeBob SquarePants. 
And it's like, well, it doesn't, the, the leap doesn't occur instantaneous. There is no, again, there's no line to get in. There's no pill to take. There's no, there's no just, you know, uh, office to show up at and declare. And so I just went, all right, I'm not going to be afraid of the journey. And I, I think the, the whole thing can seem so, uh, all the obstacles can seem so insurmountable and the, the desired end result can seem so unobtainable that you can really kind of get ashamed of, of, of being where you're at. And it's like, know that if you're going to start out and go for it, it is going to be a very long process and it's going to be, um, just that it's going to be a process and never be ashamed or afraid to, to say that you are at where you're at, but that you're also on the road to getting better. And then from there study, you know, go take a, go take a class, invest in yourself, invest in the career, go take some classes that also shows a, an agent or a potential agent or a potential, um, you know, client that you have invested in this, that you're not just a fan who wants to do it, but someone who's saying, I get that this is going to be difficult. I get that this is going to take some work. I get that this takes uh, humility and understanding that it's like, I'm asking you to help me be a part of something that will be hopefully mutually beneficial. And, uh, and, and so you study the craft. I hate that term, but you, you go out and you study study the craft. So you know the terminology, that you know that you work very closely with engineers and directors, and it's not just about you. Um, that, that you are a you are a like I said, you're a cog in a machine. So it, it's such a hard question to answer and to give anybody uh, you know any one bit of advice. But yeah, study, persevere, and don't be afraid to be where you're at, but not lose sight of where you hope to be. What's the funniest direction you've ever been given? Obviously, you get bizarre things here and there throughout the voice acting side of things. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> there was the most bizarre direction. I guess there was, I don't even remember the game. I think it was, I think it was, no, it wasn't Final Fantasy. I'm trying to remember. There was a game that I was a part of where I had to play an exceptionally effeminate bartender. <laughs> Um, and it was this, and it was hilarious. I mean, it was, it was so, so forced and over the top and it's delivery and all that. And, and I, I can only imagine some of the things that the director had had, me, <laughs> had had me doing, uh, to, uh, to portray this voice. Um, but I, you know, there's, there's always like, I don't know that it's direction as much as it is there's lines every now and then that, that when taken out of context can be very embarrassing. And the, the, the story I always tell is I was doing a pilot game, uh, a game where I was the voice of, it was, it was a flying game. Uh, what was it blazing, blazing angels? Yeah, that sounds familiar. I think it was blazing angels. Um, what was the name of the game? And this is many, many years ago, but, um, one of the lines in the game, which again, taken out of context would have been uh, sort of bizarre, but it's like, I looked at the director and, and I was like, really, do we maybe want to rewrite this? <laughs> but the line was, um, somebody get this guy off my rear. I can't take this pounding much longer. <laughs> and, uh, and it was in the context of a pilot who's in combat in aerial combat, asking his wingman to back him up, <laughs> the, the other members of his squadron to, uh, come provide some sort of assistance. That makes perfectly good sense. Um, and even then to try to, to try to make it more militaristic to say, somebody get this guy off my six, I can't take this pounding much longer. It still doesn't sound that much better. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was uh, the lines like that. There's moments where we, we say things or you're asked to do things, and obviously the, the grunts and the efforts can get very silly. 
uh, when taken out of context, it, you know, it, it either sounds like you're, you're have, you have a bowel obstruction that you're dealing with, or it could be that you're trying to climb up the side of a building, uh, but, uh, but taken out of context. I, I don't know. There's a, there's, it's one of the best elements of the job, and it's why it feels like it's not work. You can have so much fun uh, in the booth. Um, and even even in, in the you know in the context of a dramatic narrative like a, like a story of Ezio or that kind of thing, you can still have so much fun behind that bo mic. Oh yeah, he had some fun lines. Oh yes, <laughs> big time, big time. And you can imagine what the outtakes were like. <laughs> oh yeah. So you you've been some iconic roles now. You've been Sonic. You've been Batman. You've been Ezio, who became his own iconic character. Is there an ideal character that you would love to be? If you could be anything, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been asked that question. I always just say, like, you know, I, I can't answer that because the reality is I've already done so many things that, you know, when someone asks, you know, what have you been a part of? What projects have you been a part of? Could you just list a few and you start going, it's nuts. It's I still feel like this dorky kid in high school um, who had no clue what he was going to become or what he was going to do in life. And uh, knew that he liked being funny, knew that he liked performing, <laughs> knew that he liked trying to, you know, uh, have an impact on people. But I didn't know that I was going to turn it into a, a job, let alone a career. Um, and and I've gotten to do, like, just to hear you say, Sonic the Hedgehog, Batman, Ezio, uh, Captain America, even even retail campaigns that I've done or, or, or jobs that I've narrated, things like that. It, it, uh, it's so surreal to, uh, to, to have experienced those things. The notion that I get to do it again... Um, feels almost uh, almost unreal as well to go. I why well, I I don't know that I'm gonna that that phone's gonna ring again and that someone else is gonna want to hire me on their project. So there's no perfect role for me other than the cliche answer being the next one. I <laughs> every day behind a VO microphone is a victory, and it it uh, it it's just unreal to think that I get to keep doing it. And that I've got work lined up for today and tomorrow and for Friday and <laughs> and the the calendar's filling up next week and you just go this is ridiculous it, it's it's bizarre so I don't really mind if I'm doing if I'm you know promoting someone's product you know for a commercial read or if I'm a video game character or if I'm a supporting character in a game it's just all a blast to get to go do so the 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 perfect role has already been obtained in that. Many, many years ago, I got paid to go into someone's studio that they pay a tremendous amount of money and rent for and goof off behind a VO mic for, for some project for one of their clients, and they gave me money for it. And it's like that that particular, that first paid gig is like, well, there's the ultimate voiceover role. I got paid to do it. Amazing. It must be incredible to just do that all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's crazy when it becomes sort of the norm, you know, like you – I can remember the first few times, like, I, I, one of the things that shocked me about voiceover in comparison to stand-up comedy is I could get up on a stage, and the adrenaline rush that would happen prior to taking the stage was, was awesome. Uh, the anxiety, the, uh, the anticipation of getting up and what you're going to do and what's about to happen, and yet the minute you hit the stage, it all goes away. Because now you're, you're locked into, I'm in command, I'm in control, i got to steer this ship, let's see where it goes. Um, and I can remember the first couple of times, even in some of the training classes of getting behind a voiceover microphone and my heart just pounding because you get sealed off in this room that's super dead quiet and you can hear, uh, the mouth noise. You can hear the, the yeah. breathing. You suddenly are aware of the fact that you, you're getting over a cold. You, you know, it's all these things that, and it's just nerve wracking. Um, and I can remember thinking like, wow, how is it that I can get up on a stage and, 
and command an audience of a thousand people and, and think nothing of it. And yet here I am, all I got to do is talk to three people behind that glass and I'm nervous as I'll get up. Um, it's uh, it's weird when it you start realizing that the nerves go away and you might be walking in to audition for, you know, a massive opportunity um, that if, if you were to get this gig, it could be huge. You never know if it's the next SpongeBob or the next Adventure Time or the next you know, uh, Yogi Bear or the next, you never know what, what these opportunities could turn into. And yet the nerves are just not there because you, you are confident in, in your ability. And, and it's, it's weird when you leave something going, all right, well, Hey, I threw it against the wall. Hope it sticks on to the next, you know, like yeah. on to the next one. Let's, let's keep doing. That's just, as long as we turn out auditions that we're proud of and that we're happy with, then, okay, cool. You know, um, because so much of the rest of it is beyond my control, um, it's weird when you start realizing, oh, okay, I'm confident in knowing a lot of this is out of my control, but if I do the best that I can and be as prepared as I can to go in, then that's my job. My job is to audition and to audition well, and the rest of it is is up to all sorts of different powers that be. Um, <laughs> can't control that, and it's weird when that becomes comfortable. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not. Doesn't mean that you get lazy. It just means that you go, okay, this is this is the day to day process. And it's funny how five years or six or seven years ago, this was was, you know, it was frightening and it was and it was everything. It was it yeah. was you know you you were desperate to get one more, and now it's like you just keep kind of you know auditioning and going, okay, this is this is good. This is working well, and I, I'm proud of that. And I'm gonna try a different approach on this one and see if that sticks and that kind of thing. Yeah, it must be bizarre. You have to kind of let them go a bit more this time, I suppose. Now they become more frequent. You have to be kind of like, oh, well, yeah, that one's done. Next. Yep. <laughs> I I call it trigonometry because I was terrible at math, and it was like, and yet I had to take like pre-calculus and all this stuff, and I just go, it, it's. I call it trigonometry because it's like you do what you got to do to pass the test, and then once you pass the test, don't don't worry about it because you're probably never going to use it again <laughs> in your life. <laughs> and it's like the audition process is like that. It's like, all right, go in. Um, Take yourself seriously enough to 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 want to do well um, in that audition and to 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 work hard to to provide a good audition. And then when you're when you're out of the room, you know, don't don't worry about it because there's it's not your project. It's it's the project of of somebody who has a creative vision and they are going to make decisions that are that are right for them. And if you're not a good fit, it doesn't mean that you're a terrible person or that you suck at your job. It just means that it's like you weren't a good fit for that project and. On to the next, you know, and and uh, the minute you start getting bitter and phoning it in or getting angry at the industry, it's like then then it's not your industry. Well, that's fantastic advice, and I feel really bad now because I feel like I'm going to lower the tone because I feel like I have to ask, what's all this hand fart business about? Where did <laughs> where did where did that come from? <laughs> I do, I don't know. I I have the most juvenile sense of humor. I have an older brother, and he and I, I mean. It, in a, in a sort of roundabout way, who would have thought that this is what, you know, my uh, career would have become because I just enjoyed making sounds and dinosaur sounds and playing with cars. <laughs> and, and my brother and I would mimic, you know, sounds. And it was like, I think over time, it, you know, it just became that that sort of hand fart thing became what we would do. And uh, and when you are in a voiceover booth, I have picked a wonderful industry where the, the collective mentality uh, <laughs> and the... I would say the 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 collective age appropriate sense of humor is that of maybe an eight year old boy um, <laughs> when we are all in these booths together, and so we're always. Um, I always I I say that whenever we do like an ensemble recording in like an animated series, it feels like detention, 
It feels like this is this is where all the kids in in school <laughs> that got busted for for not sitting still wound up having to sit around for an hour after school to kind of learn their lesson. Yeah, everybody in detention is just trying to crack each other up because they're a bunch of smart Alex. And that is the voiceover industry when it's like an ensemble voice recording. All the naughty kids went into voiceover. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like we will all sit there and it's like, okay, well, Fred Tatashore, his his fart sound is amazing. You know, it's like or, or oh, he's got the subtle one where it sounds like, you know, you're just kind of sneaking one out. It's, and it becomes this thing. And, and for whatever reason, the hand farts became something that uh, in the middle of recordings and especially because. There's always an inevitable situation where some character in the in the production is is called upon to um, have a, a struggle. Let's say you, you, your character's fallen through the ice and you're trying to claw your way out of the ice, and then you succumb to the cold and you just you know you you have that last gasp of air. And as we're all sitting around waiting for that person to deliver that performance, they will inevitably go like. Uh, 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 uh. And then someone in the room, knowing that the performance is over, will always finish it with a. <laughs> you know, they'll do some little sound and then we all crack up because we're a bunch of idiots. And, you know, it's and it doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl, you know, it's like the, <laughs> the women in voiceover, they've got sometimes an even more uh, a terrible sense of humor than the guys. Um, and it just became its own little thing. And, and, and really and truly where it 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 gained its footing was working with Liam O'Brien, um, who was the voice director, uh, along with Stephanie Shea on uh, Resident Evil 5. It, it became the the joke that I would do every morning with the the crew from Capcom because um, we would have a lot of a lot of the Japanese clients would come over from Japan and they were here and there was always a language barrier that kind of thing but I knew that where the booth was and where the control room was there was always a time where the engineer would come in with the microphone turned off he'd adjust the mic make sure that it was set up properly for my height and then he would go back into the control room and inevitably he would then slide the fader up and my mic would be live. Well, I knew that it, it in 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 between the time of of him shutting the door and uh, uh, getting back to the control room, I would just start going, <laughs> and I knew that as as they were all having their little morning meeting and everyone's talking very intently with one another, that all of a sudden he would slide that thing up and that would be loud and blaring in the room. <laughs> it's just, and all these people would turn and look at what the hell is this guy doing and. And it would start things off on a positive, fun, goofy note, and it was just a nice way to kind of start the day and, and be like, all right, we, we have a fun job that we're about to go do. And Liam loved it, and we started having more fun with it, and they would record it and play it back, and it just became its own little thing. It's definitely nothing I, I, I am, I am let's say, proud of, <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll, I will take this as the man who does that sort of thing from time to time as, as being that. That might very well be my legacy. <laughs> that's, that's it. Out of everything you've done. The hand farts are what you're going to yes. be, where you leave behind. And it's just, it's just, you know, Robin Williams was on Inside the Actor's Studio, and and when James Lipton asked him, like, what's your favorite sound? You know, uh, he he's, I think he did. He said that was his favorite sound, and he said because he said he, he says because it's musical, but there's also something else along with it, or that kind of. It was something to that degree. I don't yeah. remember the exact quote. And I just remember thinking, like, that's a, that's a grown man who, again, we when you think about something that's been around since the dawn of man, however you want to, wherever you, uh, whatever your beliefs are on that as to when that occurred, um, <laughs> this has been with us. The, the body sounds have been with us forever, and yet we still are embarrassed and we still find them funny. And I, I think that's, I think that's wonderfully silly and wonderfully funny. And it's it's a it's a very human part of us that, you know, no matter how cool you think someone is, no matter how 
incredible a person every now and then they are capable of of making a very silly sound coming out of their backside <laughs> that's a very good thing to remember next time you're yes. looking at someone <laughs> who's very important or very famous you just like yes they still fart yeah it's <laughs> like you know i don't care if it's your prime minister that prime minister has made a funny sound <laughs> awesome well that's been amazing thank you roger for coming on to the sound architects we've absolutely loved having you hand farts and all <laughs> we hope to catch up with you again sometime in the future all i can say to that is thank you very much <laughs> thank you thanks for having me on i appreciate it